I do love retreats. How about you guys? Anyone want to share their favorite part to the retreat so far? Running around in shorts. That's your own choice, right? Yes. Favorite part? High ropes. Right? Very cool. Paintball? Paintball? Do you get any uh, welts? Say fully protected? Oh, nice. Were you um, confused or were you like the general? Were you the general? Go, 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 go. Take him out on the flank. Was it, were there like teams or was it like free for all? Were there teams? Two teams? Is that like everyone for themselves? Did you guys do a Revolutionary War style? Yeah, just like take a foot. Yeah. Anybody else favorite part so far? Well, I've enjoyed the sessions. Sessions, yeah. Yeah, I pray those have been an encouragement to you. Sleeping. I heard uh, Luke and Haley didn't quite get a lot of sleep last night because they got home from the game like 2.30. Yeah. It's a late night. You sleep all the night? Don't know? Um... Yeah, so I, you know, I think what's great about retreats is just something that's not normal, right? Breaking routine a little bit, uh, getting away, having some fun together, a little rest, a little, um, you know, good conversations, hopefully. Maybe have some good conversations with some of your friends this weekend. Getting out into nature. How many of you guys like just being in the woods, under the stars? You know, we're always under the stars, but more visibly. I do uh, hope that the messages and uh, the worship times together and the conversations you've had have been encouraging. Tonight, I want to talk to you about, if you're kind of like putting a title, uh, the fight of your life. The fight of your life. Now, I wonder, when you guys hear the word fight, does anyone like, when you hear that word fight, what comes to mind? First thing. Fist fighting. Fist fighting? He, he, he said an answer, but he's, he's removing it. A war? Okay, like, like a real war? Like a war like a long time ago or like war like now? Are you, like when you say war, are you thinking like guns? Are you thinking like spears? Guns? Okay. High school? Just overall fight. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, that is true. It's survival. Yeah. Who can make it out alive? Hunger Games. Anybody else? Uh, when you hear the word fight. Okay. Street fighting. What do you guys think? You guys hear fight? War. Okay. Does everybody's resolve to to keep fighting for something or with you know against something sometimes? So it's like yeah, fight isn't just like one moment, but it's it can be various lengths. Anyone think like boxing? Um. How about your? Did anyone think siblings? Did it, no? I did. No and Haley? No? I did. You did? Okay. Now, I grew up with uh, two sisters. One is three years older, another is three years younger. And uh, obviously, we had our fights. I can think back to, uh, you know, we had one, one van. So you got five people in there, everyone's stuff. And uh, it was always like who, who could, you know, for the certain seats, right? I think I, I was always trying to get in the back. You know, it's just furthest away, kind of a privacy area there. As much as possible. 
I like, I like learned how to read back there. I can like read anywhere. I can also sleep anywhere as long as I'm like basically flat. So, um, also my parents would go on dates sometimes and they would leave my older sister in charge. That was a disaster, obviously. Right. Um, and we would have, uh, some pretty scratchy fights over the TV remote. We just had one TV. Unlike some people today have like five or six TVs in their house. We just had one. It was one of those big boxes. If you ever seen those. And uh, so we would have a fight, and I won, obviously, because the Buckeyes, you know. It's, it's Saturday night, you know. The Buckeyes will make you do whatever you have to to watch their perfect team. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you think when you hear fight, maybe you think even your recent life with your parents, at school, teacher, coach, a friend. Maybe you've had a, a fight with a friend or a boyfriend, girlfriend, if you've had that. You know, fights do involve, involve struggle, you know, two forces meeting together it, that are in opposition, so they have different desires and end goals a lot of times. Something has to give. Someone must win. And we get that with sports, right? Two teams, two individuals going against each other. Someone has to break. Maybe sometimes you watch tennis, right? I know we've got some tennis players here. If you ever watch, uh, like, the men, they go into, like, five sets sometimes, and the tiebreaker isn't just points, but it's games. I think some of the recent ones, this has gone on, like, for hours, um, and it's like each person's unwilling to give in. It is the fight of their lives, right? For the prize, for money, for glory, for the trophy. So I think when we say fight, a lot of times we do think something that's bad, right? You know, fighting is not a great thing. But I don't think it automatically has to mean that. You know, ultimately, all fighting and struggle comes as a result of the fall, especially when we think about our relationships, right, and the brokenness that we see there. But there's also something about the idea of fight or struggle that has been redeemed, in a certain, certain sense, reversed. In other words, we can also now fight for things that are good. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about your fight with sin as a Christian. This is the fight of your life, and really it is a fight for your life. And the first thing I want to say is this. Uh, the first, this fight is one, and you probably have realized this already. This, this fight is one that brings you some of your greatest sorrow and some of your greatest joy in life. When I say sorrow, I mean like it really does make you feel sad, right? When you lose, when you're defeated by sin, when you give into it, it can be very depressing, deadening, okay? It takes away life. That's the nature of sin. But then the light of the gospel shines. You guys have been talking about that this week. And hope rises, Christ has won. And the Spirit gives you victory and helps you grow. God transform you, transforms you slowly but surely. And there is great joy in that. Maybe you've, you've experienced some of that in your Christian life as early as it may be as well. It's a great sadness, but also great joy. So I, I think that the fight that we're talking about tonight is not just theoretical. Okay? It's not just like ideas up in the cloud. It's very practical. This is the, the day-to-day life that we live as followers of Christ. You've probably also realized that you have a choice in regards to this fight. You can either embrace it or you can run away from it. You know, how do some Christians run away from the fight against sin? That doesn't even make sense, really. But I think it really comes down to some Christians don't really care. Uh, we, we call that apathy. They don't really care about their sin. Uh, connected with that can be even an ignorance of their sin and of the, re- the reality of the situation that they are in. And then obviously sometimes when we're running away from um, you know, a fight against sin, that's just straight-up rebellion, right, in our own hearts. We're, when we resist that fight, 
we're really resisting God himself and what he wants for us. So we can either run or we can embrace that fight. And so I have found when you embrace the fight against sin, that comes with some different challenges. Number one, it takes effort. You ever try to fight against sin? It takes effort. You don't wake up and naturally fight sin in the, each day. Normally we just give in. So that takes a, a mental and a spiritual posturing, kind of a, a preparation for the fight to come, right? You, some of you guys mentioned war. You know, is that kind of just like a sporadic decision? Let's kind of just like wing it. Or is there tons of planning usually and strategy? So one challenge in the fight against sin is it's a daily effort. It's not just a one-time decision from like 10 years ago. This is a, a fight that happens every day. Secondly, another challenge that we find in the fight against sin is the need for endurance or perseverance. When I say, that, when I say perseverance, you know, like, what does that mean? Like, if you need that perseverance, like if you're in a race, what, does that, like, what would perseverance look like in a race, Ryan? Right. Don't stop. Don't give up. Um, a resolve. You've made a decision. I'm in this all the way to the end. Three quarters of the way through the high ropes and saying, I'm pushing through this even though my hands are killing me. Was that, is that a personal experience from today? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this fight that lasts your entire lifetime as a Christian, that's, that can be daunting, right? You ever uh, kind of just wish that the struggle was over? I know I do. It's kind of like that longing for the fight to be over. And that actually is probably a good thing for us because that causes us to look forward to what has not yet happened, which is Christ coming back. And we can't look to ourselves, to that, but we look to that final redemption and rescue. So that's another challenge is the challenge of endurance. You know, Paul likes to talk about the race a lot. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, I think some of you guys are starting to learn that. You're like, man, I, I was kind of close to God back in middle school, maybe elementary, but something has happened in recent times. Well, that, that's what we're talking about is this idea of a race or a journey. Another challenge that uh, we're going to find in this fight against sin is the need for humility. A lot of us, uh, I think, struggle with that. I think being human kind of uh, automatically comes with a struggle to, to be proud. And so humility... So that not only is there going to be a result of this fight, but it's something that we need in the fight. As we're going to see, confession and repentance are at the forefront of this struggle. Again, going back with that kind of war metaphor. The front line where the enemy, where sin is defeated, where the blood of Christ is raised as our banner, where we look to and hope as we push forward, God taking ground in our lives. Ultimately, confession and repentance, you need to have humility in order to to really experience that forgiveness from God. So this is the fight of your life, the Christian struggle against sin. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. My goal is to uh, remind you guys of just some basic things. Uh, we're going to talk about the reality of the situation that we're in. I think you guys have been talking a little bit about that this weekend. First of all, the depth of the problem. Um, I think we need to continue to lean into the gospel. And this, this is not, you know, coming out of tonight, I don't want you guys to, to be depressed. I don't want you to be kind of uh, cynical about the possibility to win this fight. We need to have hope, but we're going to find there's going to be a source of hope outside of ourselves. But I do want us to think about our lives as Christians and our relationship with sin. Have you ever thought about that? What is my relationship with sin? And I really want us to do that in as truthful and honest a way as possible in this type of setting. 
Again, I think that this is a very practical thing to think through at, at this point in your guys' lives. Questions like, what do I do when I sin? How should I think about my sin? These are important questions. Whether you realize it or not, you guys are forming patterns, not in regards to like what sins you struggle with, but also what is happening after you sin. And so I think we need to talk about that a little bit. There's always room for us to grow in this. Um, as we dive into all this, let's ask God to be at work, to open our eyes. The nature of sin is it's blinding. It's, it hardens our hearts. We need God to open our eyes. We need him to soften our hearts and to give us ears to truly listen. So let's pray and ask his help for tonight. Father, we would ask that you would meet us in this moment as we open your word, as we think about something that is at the center of our lives today. As we think about fighting sin, we, many of us have been so defeated at times in our lives. We, we have felt the, the, the connection that sin has to death, not just like ultimate death in the sense of like physically dying, but the, the, the relationship carnage that, that can cause, the almost demotivating to, to, to live for you in its nature of sin. And I pray that you would just open our eyes to the sins that we are, are dealing with. Help us to be honest about those. And I pray that you would encourage us through the gospel to place our hope in Christ, who has given us the victory. And so I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that you would just uh, give us the strength, even after uh, some of us have had long weeks, uh, that this would just be an encouraging time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So four things I want to ro- remind you of tonight. And again, we're going to kind of approach this topically rather than just like looking at, looking at one pass. We're going to look at a couple different ones real quick. Uh, four things I'm going to remind you of. Number one is the reality of your situation. Okay, so number one is the reality of your situation. Number two, God's desire for you. And we're going to come back to each of these. Number two, God's desire for you. Number three, opposing forces against you. Opposing forces against you. And number four, gifts and resources for your fight. Gifts or resources for your fight. And if you didn't get all of that, we're going to come back to those. So number one, the reality of our situation. I think sometimes... Christians can get very discouraged and disheartened because they haven't been told up front what to expect. They haven't been told the truth. So sometimes there can be discouragement because certain expectations haven't been met in regards to what it looks like to be a Christian. Maybe you haven't felt that yet, but at some point you probably will. That's some of that disconnect. You know, I think some Christians almost have uh, an expectation that they won't struggle with X. They kind of fill in the blank there. Uh, I think some Christians have an expectation that once they get saved, they would never do or will never do fill in the blank. And then something happens where they make that choice, and then it's like, uh, what is going on? There's a lot of confusion. I think there's a lot of times expectations that your Christian life should go in a certain way. And when there's this experience of defeat by sin, it's like, what do I do now? It's kind of a panic so I think many of us, we realize that something, even though that we're saved, there's something that's still very wrong about our lives. Things are not as they should be. We look at our relationships, right? With mom, with dad, with brother, with sister. Are those as bad as they could be? No. But are, as, are they as good as they should be? No. We look at our attitudes, our work, our effort, and something is off. Something is missing. Something is broken. And... Maybe you begin to think, why is it like this? I thought things are going to get better now that I'm a Christian. 
So I th- again, I think we can get frustrated because sometimes we're told that things are going to go a certain way and then they don't. We're given promises that really are not in the Bible. And so I do want to remind us of some truths tonight as we start off about the reality of our situation. First thing we want to say is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that means that you have trusted in him alone for salvation, look to the cross, look to the resurrection for your salvation. That means that you are acceptable in God's sight. And when we say acceptable, that means that you have a right relationship with him. That means that God is pleased with you, that you are righteous, that he sees you through Jesus and his shed blood. You are now his child. We sang that uh, tonight in our songs, right? You're now a child of God. You're no longer his enemy. You're now his friend. You are holy. Now, whenever I, I say that or think that or read that, this idea of you are completely holy in God's sight, I have to be honest with you, and sometimes I, I feel a disconnect with reality. Does anyone uh, say amen to that? You know what I mean? Let me try to explain that. So we say that we're completely holy in God's eyes, right? But then I look at my life and I feel very unholy. I feel sinful. I don't know if you ever feel like that, but I do. And why is that? Well, it's because I'm a sinner who still sins. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean I don't sin anymore. And so my own self-understanding, how I, I understand my reality, is dependent on the circumstances of my life and whether or not I've lived for God on a particular day. You know, did I serve someone well today? Was I kind to them? Did I do my devotions? Maybe then I feel holy or, or godly. Maybe I finally fought temptation. I said no rather than saying yes like I normally do. And so that's a day that I would consider myself holy. So then our holiness is completely dependent on ourselves and our own choices and basically how we feel about those choices. And so what's wrong with that? Anyone have an answer to that? Well, it's often not reality, right? It's not the ultimate truth about who we are. And so that's what's amazing about the gospel. I want to start there because this truth is something that we often ignore or distort or forget. That's why it's been said every single day you need to wake up and preach the gospel to yourself. Not just, again, this is not just a message uh, that was relevant for when you were five or ten. The gospel has just as much impact on your life today. And so when you believe in the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, the reality of your situation changes. Your relationship with sin changes. You're no longer bound to yourself. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You've been redeemed. You've been saying about that. You've been set free. And one of the the things that you've been set free from is your own self-understanding based on your own feelings about the reality of your situation. So let me just say this. How you feel about yourself ultimately does not matter. There's a lot of uh, focus on that today in our culture, right? How do you feel about yourself? But the Bible teaches that what God, not just what he feels about you, but what he thinks about you, how he sees you, what his relationship is with you, that's what's most important. Again, not how do I feel about myself, but how does God see me? That's That's the crux of the matter. And what God has said is, you are mine. You are holy in my sight. So on days when you don't feel that, on days when you're not making choices that are in alignment with that reality, it's still true because God has said it's true. And so that's number one in the reality of our situation as Christians. You are holy because God has said you are holy. And again, this is a mystery that we are in our whole lives continue to chew on. It's not something that's just going to like, uh, you know, it makes sense, you studied it, and you're done with it. It's, it's 
It's what's so amazing about grace. It's what's so amazing about the gospel. That what I do doesn't affect my status with God. Right? And so I think uh, a lot of us can really get tripped up with that. So what now? I think we need to, as we think about, that's the reality of our situation. Okay? We have been saved by God, but we are still sinners who struggle with sin. And even though we sin, it doesn't mean that God is, is going to reject us. He's accepted us because of what Christ has done for us. I think what we need to do now, though, is think about what does God want for us now that we are his child. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. This is into our second point here, God's desire for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, that's in the New Testament, one of the letters of Paul. Before you get to Hebrews. First Thessalonians 4. Let's read verses 1 through 12. And then we're going to focus on the beginning of verse 3. Paul says, uh, <clears throat> Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We're going to come back to that. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your, own, uh, with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So you look back at verse 3, the beginning part of that. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Maybe you heard that verse before, maybe not. God's will. That sounds like something really deep, right? It's kind of a loaded phrase. There's a lot to talk about. We can't really get into all that tonight. But just know, if you want to put this in your notes, God's will equals or colon that's what god wants for you that in a very simple way we're saying what does god want for you what is his plan and desire for you as his child in other words god is sharing part of his heart here he's saying this is what i want your life to be about now i think we should probably take that advice right and it's a bit more than advice it's god's holy words authoritative command god is telling us what we should do and what we should be about and i think we should listen right don't you think the person who has made you, okay, the creator has made you, would know best what he's talking about? He's saying this is the way to the good life, to the abundant life, to life as I've designed to be lived. And so God's will. You know, there's different aspects to God's will. If you look at uh, the end of 1 Thessalonians verse 18, 518, Paul says that it's God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, so that's one thing that God wants you to do. You ever look at 1 Peter 2.15? Peter says that God's will is for you to do good, to do right to all people. Here, Paul says God's will is our sanctification. Now, what is that? That's not a word. That's a pretty big word, right? 
Anyone try to give a definition of that? Get all quiet when we start doing uh, vocab, right? Process of yes, we have a. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Sanctification, yeah. When you repent? Yeah, I I think repentance is definitely part of it. Thank you for uh, venturing a guess there. I think um, what we're going to end up seeing is repentance is is part of the process uh, where we... So really, sanctification is related to the word holiness. It's like becoming like God. I like to describe it as, is your journey of becoming more like Jesus. Um, So God is holy. He's special. And he, he intends for us to be... Separate from sin and special, uh, like just like he is. And so sanctification is the process. It's an ongoing journey becoming more like Jesus. It is a, it is a process. It's, some, it's not something that ever stops. It's something that continues throughout our whole lifetimes. Sometimes, uh, just by the way, this is for free. Sometimes when people say sanctification, they mean different things. So let me just quickly say three different things about sanctification. The second one is what we're emphasizing tonight. Sometimes people talk about positional sanctification. That's what we talked about earlier with the gospel. Um, the penalty for your sin has been paid, right? This is something that's been ha- this has happened to you in the past if you're a believer in Jesus. That's what we call positional. Can you guys say positional? Positional. positional. Yeah, it's like a position on a team, like a sports team, right? So positional is like your stance, like where you are. Okay, and that's in your relationship with God. You are now holy. Can you guys say progressive? Progressive. Progressive. What's that mean? Progress. Something's progressive. You guys ever go on a progressive dinner? Yes. <laughs> like you go to someone's house for the appetizer, and you go to someone else's house for the dinner, like the entree, someone else's house for the dessert. It's great. You guys should do that sometime. It's fun. Um, progressive is like, so it's ongoing, right? So progressive sanctification is, that's what we're talking about tonight. That's the ongoing fight that you have against sin, right? So that's our present reality. So that's, so we have positional, progressive, and someday we have perfected or perfect Sanctification, so that's something in the future. So we say it sometimes this way. In a certain sense, you have been saved because you've been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved. The power of sin has been broken. You can say no, but we're still struggling with that, right? So we're being saved. Someday we will be saved. Joel, when I say that, what does it mean that you're going to be saved someday? Someday you will be saved. Okay, but let me just say this. You already are saved because you're a Christian. Jesus is currently saving you from the power of sin. So what do we mean that someday you're going to be saved? Anybody help him out? Yeah, think about this. Someday, Joel, you're not even going to sin anymore. Isn't that crazy to think about? So this is something that's after death. This is after, after the resurrection, after Christ's return, that sin will be no more. I, you ever read some of the end time stuff, some of the end of the Bible? That's, that's the reality. That you will still be human, but you won't even be able to sin anymore. Isn't that amazing to think about? So that's what we call kind of the end kind of stage there of sanctification. So we're just focused on that second one tonight, progressive. Again, sanctification is a way of describing the refining process. Um, and it becomes clear in the Bible, this is God's work in our lives. He is the one who transforms and changes us. He is the one who forgives. But we also have a responsibility. We must make these choices. We have to work out our salvation. And so um, it's just interesting to think about 
in this context, go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 if you're still there. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes right into talking about sexual purity and loving each other. Do you guys catch that? That's, a complete, that's like a whole other message. We could get into that. But I do think that's interesting. Sexual purity, as, as an example of our love for one another, is a key way for us to become holy. Notice I didn't say the only way. Okay? Sexual sin is not the only sin we commit, but it is something that we uh, can struggle with. Um, and so Paul says that we need to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, Haley, when I say abstain, that's kind of a weird word. What's that? Actually, I didn't say it. Paul said it. So when he says abstain, would it be this? Yep, you want more of it? So he's saying you want more sexual immorality. Okay. So what would be the opposite of this? You're right? Yes. Yeah, I think so, right? Stiff arm, okay? Yeah. So abstain is uh, to, to avoid, to not give in, to fight against. It's to say no, right? So stiff arm, f- finger wag, whatever you're going to do, right? And that's not just, that's with all sin. That's, that's what our response needs to be. And so that's what God wants for us. He wants uh, us to become more like Jesus. And again, I, I used the word journey earlier. Hopefully you write that down, the word journey, because this fight against sin has its ups and downs. There's going to be some different seasons in your life. Maybe you guys are in a, a season right now where you are growing re- like really quickly. Okay? You're taking huge steps in your faith. But just know that how it is right now might not be how it always is, and that's okay. In a certain sense, expect that. There, there are going to be uh, some valleys. We say that, mountaintops and valleys, and to, to be ready for that. God is going to walk alongside you through all of that. Okay, so that's what God wants for us. He wants us to experience sanctification. The enemy does not. And so let's just uh, talk briefly about the opposing forces to your fight. The Bible lays out three main enemies that are against you in your fight against sin. Can you guys think of, what do you, who do you think is number one? Uh, I was thinking about that. I don't know if we can, like, do, is there, like, an official ranking, college playoff ranking? John Piper tweeted this week that sin is a more dangerous adversary than Satan. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to be my own uh, theory. Your number one enemy in your fight against sin is you. Is you. Okay, so we're going to talk about you, culture, and Satan and the demons, okay? So enemy number one, yourself. That sounds weird, right? Who would ever guess it? <laughs> I, I'm guilty. Like, I, I'm the one, you know, you're like playing Clue and like you reveal and it says your name on it, right? You're like, what? Uh, I thought it was, you know, Professor Plum. Uh, you know, who would ever guess? But I think the older you get, the more you realize that this is true. And so your experience begins to line up with what the Bible teaches. Let's turn to Romans 7. Romans 7, next passage we got here. Something else Paul says, very interesting. Whenever I read this, I just say amen. Because it's, it, I think that's kind of a cool thing. As you grow in, as a, a Christian, the more things you read in the Bible, you're like, wait, that's my life, or that was my life. And I think uh, you start to read some of this and you, you feel like that. So look at uh, verse 14. We're in Romans 7. Check out verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, 
But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Notice this verse. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 16. Romans 7, uh, 16, if you're still getting there. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not, I, for, oh, sorry, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, this <laughs> is kind of a tongue twister. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, okay, my true self, okay, that God has said I now am. But I see in my members another law, okay, this sin nature that still resides there, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul describes there what we descri- uh, say as, this is the war within. It's this inner battle that we're talking about tonight between our new self and our old self. Wouldn't it be great that if we, when we got saved, just no more sin? Like you never sinned ever again. It'd be very obvious who the Christians were, right? Okay. <laughs> Uh, but that's not the reality. That's not God's will, actually. Okay? It's not what he ended up plan- planning. But this is a very painful battle at times, right? You think back on your life so far. What has caused you some of the greatest sadness and grief? Hasn't some of that been your own inner turmoil over your sin? Hopefully. That would be one indicator that you are a child of God. If you have never experienced that, that could be a warning uh, signal that maybe you're not. Okay, so number one enemy is us. We get in the way, okay? It's that sin nature that a lot of times we revert back to. Sometimes I, I talk to my students about this. You know, Christ has set you free from the jail cell. When we sin, we're doing the insane thing of going back into prison and closing the door and saying this is how it has to be, which is not true. Enemy number two is the world. Now, when I say world, we're not saying like creation, like the plants and the animals, I think actually a word that we use today that's probably closer to what the Bible is talking about is the word culture, okay? We're talking about us together and what we as humans produce together, our, our way of thinking. So maybe like cities and schools and governments in Hollywood and the media and just kind of collective human natural wisdom. When we get together as humans, we can do great things, but we also can uh, produce some really evil things, including evil philosophy and ways of thinking, about ourselves and about God. And so we're called to be in the world, but not of it. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that, you guys catch that phrase, we're meant to be in the world, but not of it. It doesn't mean that we're meant to come, like move out here in the middle of nowhere and just kind of lives as like monks and nuns, okay? How many of you guys would like that? Just kind of get away from, you would like to be a nun, Haley? Okay. You would like to be a monk? Yeah. Okay. You know, that's not, uh, we're not meant to do that kind of, middle, you know, move in the middle of nowhere, build up some defenses, kind of have that monk lifestyle, and never interact with secular, crass, ungodly, jeweling, drunk, Joe Schmo down the street, okay? 
No, we're not meant to leave this world. But just because we're here doesn't mean like we're meant to become like unbelievers. You guys talk about this a lot, I think, in youth group. Like how you can and should have unbelieving friends. But then the question is, who is influencing who? Right? And so, yeah, what does it look like to be a Christian in the situation, the setting that we find ourselves? Think about who you are. You are a 21st century American, okay, living in Tennessee. We live in a society that's super political, overly sensitive, overtly sexual, often unjust, rampantly godless, increasingly bored culture. Think about the evil that's in our world today. Have you guys been following some of the news with the California bar shooting? 12 people died. I saw yesterday the shooter actually had posted on Instagram in the middle of the shooting. This is a quote. He said, It's too bad I won't get to see all the illogical and pathetic reasons people will put in my mouth as to why I did it. Fact is, I had no reason to do it. And I just thought, F it. Life is boring, so why not? You guys catch that? Life is boring, so why not? God, we so desperately need your help. Our world is sick beyond what we can repair on its own. And so culture and the messages that come out of culture are not trustworthy. It's not all bad, okay? But it takes tons of wisdom to understand what is truth and what is not. So opposing forces to your fight against sin, yourself, and also culture, the world that we find ourselves in. Number three, as we're wrapping this up, Satan and demons, okay? The enemy wants to destroy you. To keep you from believing, first of all, but then if you become a believer, to make you useless and ineffective. Has anyone uh, in here read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? Okay. I find that type of book very interesting, encouraging. You know, it's, it's fictional in its story and its details, but very truthful in regards to a lot of reality. And the fact is, Satan is not your fan. Demons do not want you to succeed. They're, not, they're rooting for your failure. Now, whenever I say that phrase, there was a joke at Grace a few years ago that a, a teacher supposedly said this to some students, that I am rooting for your failure. It was a misquote. It was an, I didn't say this. It was a joke. Obviously, teachers are not actually rooting for your failure. Does anyone actually feel like they are? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, there actually is someone who is rooting for your failure. You ever thought of that before? Like, there are forces that are out there that are not on your side. They, like, they literally laugh when you mess up. And they love it, okay? They are rooting for your failure. And so God's enemy is our enemy. To oppose God, the enemy opposes us. In a certain sense, to hurt God, they hurt us. They go through us to hurt God. So the enemy is active today. I just came across this quote yesterday. We live in a time where Satan doesn't even hide anymore and people still don't see him. We live in a time where Satan doesn't even hide anymore and people still don't see him. There's a really evil ad that Planned Parenthood just put out. It's awful. And, and it got, it's getting ripped to shreds online. Like, who is your PR? And someone's like, Satan is their PR person. It's like, he is at work. He is looking to devour. And so this journey that you guys are on of fighting sin is going to have obstacles. What's obstacle mean? Nice. Good. Okay. There's something you have to get through. How many of you guys have read Pilgrim's Progress? We're going through the library tonight. Okay. All these different books. Right? Yeah. Possibly the second most read book ever. Right? After the Bible. Sold book. You know, he lays out in a very creative way. 
And so some of those obstacles are because of the world that we live in. Some of those obstacles are because of us. But some of those things are traps that are laid before you. How well do you think Satan and demons know humans? Right? They would pass those anthropology courses, right? I mean, yeah. How, how well do you think they actually know the Bible? Okay? Yeah, I mean, so th- th- I mean, those are very interesting things to think about. We've got to have awareness of this. I think sometimes we are spiritually sleepy. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, sin causes us to forget. Were you guys saying some of us are actually sleepy right now? Truly, fully sleepy? I got you. You know, sin causes us to forget. That's the nature of sin. It puts us into darkness. It blinds us. So that's, uh, you know, sin is something that causes us to forget the spiritual warfare that we're in. I think secondly, they're, uh, a failure to meet God in his word. That's a failure of communication, right? It's a, it's a failure to receive truth and be reminded of truth. And then thirdly, I do think that culture can really mess with your head. So I know sometimes at Grace and sometimes maybe in youth group, uh, I was talking about the school, sometimes in the youth group, you guys might talk about, you know, media and, and so forth. And it's like, hopefully you're getting the message. We're not, we don't care just about you changing your behavior. What we care about is, is your heart and your mind and, and becoming more discerning as you're growing up. So again, culture can mess with us about even to kind of mix up which side am I on, on? What does it mean to be good or right? Because they're claiming that they are. And they're claiming that we are backward and the ones who are evil. So who is right? It's all really mixed up at times. It causes us to be spiritually sleepy. People like to use the word woke today. Anyone use the word woke? Anyone cool enough to use that word in this group? No? Yeah, We're not woke? <laughs> yeah? I don't use it. I don't really know where that word came from. But it's not a... Uh, Whoever thinks they made it up uh, actually didn't. Because you know who made it up? Paul. <laughs> right? Uh, Peter. If you ever read the apostolic letters, like the letters in the Bible by the apostles, they say things like this all the time. Wake up. Okay? Be alert. Be on your guard. Why do they have to say that? Why do they have to say that? Right. Because we get spiritually sleepy. We, we, we put down our guard. We're, we're just kind of walking through this life uh, without any protection. Okay, last thing, gifts for the fight. Number four, gifts for the fight. Last thing I want to lay before you tonight is this. Know that you are not alone in this fight. You haven't been left on your own without anything. Actually, you've been given many, many gifts and tools and resources. And so let me just remind you a couple of those. One, you've been given a new heart. That's not to be taken for granted. Without a new heart, you're not going to be able to fight sin. A new heart comes with new desires. It's not just enough to say no to sin. You have to say yes to something that's better. And the thing that's better is really a person. It's Jesus. The more you fall, I don't like to use the phrase fall in love, but the more that you, you look to Jesus, the more that you love him more and come to know him more, the, the less sin will be attractive to you. Okay, That might not sound... Like it's actually going to come true, but I think the more you grow as a Christian, it definitely comes true. Secondly, the Word. The Word of God obviously has power to help us fight temptation. Look at the life of Jesus, famous story of his temptation in the desert. But then you also have verses like in Psalms that says, uh, you know, I hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But even the bigger picture about 
What is sin? Again, in a culture where we're kind of unsure, the Bible is the mirror that helps us to see that. And also see what needs to happen next. And that's the third thing. Okay, so the first thing was um, new heart. Secondly, the word. The next gift that you've been given is the gift of confession. Now, I don't know the last time you thought about confession. But I probably, I would venture to guess, you've never thought about confession as a gift. But I, I think it really is that. I sometimes, uh, this sounds weird, but I envy the Catholics in the sense of they have like a formal place they can go and like voice their sins. Right? You guys ever watch a TV show or a movie? They go to the confessional, to the, they confess their sins. To the, and it's like, okay, we have a better access. We know that through Jesus. But there is uh, just something that, you know, and overall, confession is, is a gift. Now, obviously, to confess is hard, right? Because it's humbling. We have to be honest about our sin, straight up, no excuses, no minimizing, no blaming. To be real before God, to ask for his forgiveness, to ask for mercy. You know what the gift is? God is a God who is eager to forgive you. Sometimes I think we forget that. Because you know what? We're not like that a lot, right? A lot of times we're hesitant to forgive. Think about your siblings, right? Withhold forgiveness. There's grudges. But God in his nature is one of love and of forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When it says that he's faithful, it means that when God makes a promise to you, he never breaks that. Takes away all of your shame, all of your guilt, a new life, healing. And then the last thing I would like to mention is the gift of the community of faith. The church is one of God's greatest gifts for you to fight against sin. You ever thought about this group in that way? As a gift? Not just a, a group to have a lot of good times with, that's, that's great. Hopefully you don't view this as a group that's judging you or hurting you or holding you back in some way. But rather the church, okay, this group as a way to become like Jesus, a means of holiness, part of the sanctification process. And so the question becomes, have you become part of the community in the way that God wants? So that obviously leads to certain questions about how committed are you to the group? How invested are you? You have to start off with, am I in attendance regularly or sporadically? Again, it's not just check off, I go into church. But let's turn to our last passage tonight, Hebrews 10. Wrapping it up here. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse uh, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up uh, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So yeah, we got to get together. We have to, uh, to gather. We have to be together regularly. Now I want to take this a step further and say, it's not just enough to show up. I think that some of you guys were probably made to be here, right, to be honest. Some of you guys were made to be at church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. At some point, attendance at church is going to be your own decision, but maybe at this point in your life it's not, and that's probably actually good. So just because you're here or just because you're there on Sunday morning or Wednesday night does not mean anything automatically. It doesn't mean anything about where your heart is at. 
But your presence is important. And so let me just, again, take that a step further and challenge you that when you are meeting with the community of faith, are you all there? Are you there mentally and emotionally? Do you care about those around you and the things that they're going through? Or are you just focused on yourself? When God's word is opened, is your mind everywhere else or is it here? Um, in a certain sense, have you let a relationship get in the way of what should be happening in the group? A desire for fun? A phone? Okay, There's nothing wrong with phones, fun, or relationships. But if those things get in the way, you just in the wrong time and the wrong place, they've gotten in the way. Just to, to be frank here, I've, I've noticed, I don't know if uh, David would concur with this, but uh, you know, sometimes in church, I notice some youth... And I look around, I'm like, okay, you're here, but are you actually here? Right? Kind of talking with other people on your phone in the back. Okay? I've been there too. I think we all can struggle with that at times. And so maybe reflect on that. That might just sound like a simple little thing. But when you can uh, change those habits, you have more fully bought into the community of faith. That is one more step to your fight against sin. So... I don't think you, you know, we kind of put away your phone and so forth, but there's a reason behind that. It's not, we're anti-phones or anti-whatever, but it's about buying into the community. So that's the main point. Community is a gift. Your relationship with Jesus is not just personal. It's not just Jesus and me. That's true. But it's also Jesus and us. So we're meant to pursue him together. We need each other. And so I would encourage you guys this weekend to recommit your fight against sin together. And the strength for that is not just to look inward, but to look upward. Let's fight sin together. Let's, uh, let's pray as we wrap this up. Father, I thank you for the fact that you never give up on us. The fact that you have saved us from such a, a dark place, from our depravity, from the sin that we've committed. Thank you for giving us hope. And thank you that this hope is not just a moment in time. Like when we got saved when we were five or six or seven, but that the gospel means just as much to us today, if not even more. And so I pray for these people in this room tonight. We all have our own struggles. Sometimes it can feel very lonely in the midst of our sin. And so I pray that you would bring them comfort to help them to know that they don't, they're not alone. They're not the only ones who are going through what they're going through. And so I pray that you give them the courage to be honest about that to bring that, those things into the light, that you would help them to experience your forgiveness again, afresh. I pray that you would continue to develop habits in our lives where we regularly confess and repent. We thank you that you are with us on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.